I said earlier that Advent had to do with anticipation, expectation for what is coming. <laughs> if this doesn't bring it to you, I don't know what does, right? So at least now we know you are anticipating and looking forward to excited about what comes next weekend on Saturday night and Sunday night and Sunday morning, of course, as well. Yes? That wasn't very enthusiastic. <laughs> yes? yes? There you go. There you go. This is indeed a very special time, and I think most people recognize this. And we are getting ready for something very, very spectacular and exciting and extraordinary to come about. And we need not to lose that in all the other rigmarole that is filling uh, our everyday life. I've chosen a text this morning, and I want to speak to you uh, about it under that title, While We Wait. Before I begin to uh, read the text, let me see if I can set the stage for what's going on. Matthew spends two whole chapters kind of recalling Jesus' uh, speeches about his second coming, about his return. We call that, chapter 24, chapter 25, the little apocalypse, or maybe the small revelation, book of Revelation, if you want, because it deals with the return of Christ and about the judgment of the world. And about the time that we are going through while we wait for his second coming, Jesus speaks to us in a parable. And he does what he always does in parables. He finds some setting, some scenario, some event that everybody can relate to. Everybody knows exactly What's going on? And so, what could be more well-known and commonly known, even to the point of details, than the wedding banquet? If you take a little time to find the text of Matthew 25, you can begin now. But let me see if I can bring that picture to life for you. The wedding banquet or be wedding feast, if you will, was one of the most treasured events in ancient Israel. It was one of the peak events in all the little villages around, and it was something the whole village got involved in. Everyone, in some way or another, were involved in this whole thing. It emphasized and underscored even the significance of the family and the ongoing relationship in the family, even between generations. And so, this is a major event. The bride was making herself ready to receive the groom. And as she was, she sent out the bridesmaids to make ready for the, the groom to show up. Everything happened during the evening and the, and the night sky was, was clear and there were lots of lights and singing and dancing and festivity. This was a glorious moment. The Song of Songs that some of you have read in the Old Testament was a song or a poem, maybe even a dance that was developed for that very event. 
But sometimes the groom was late. You know, you had to go by the father-in-law's house. This was called kind of the, the period of, of waiting that happened between when the marriage was settled and then when they were ready to actually consummate the marriage in that there could be a long time. Some of you remember the story of Jacob as he went to find his wife, uh, his wives, Leah and, and Rachel. And he had to work for seven years during that time. That was the longest period of time they were allowed to kind of get ready for that. And then he goes by the father-in-law's house and, and they settle the last kind of deals that was going on with this marriage. And then the groom would come and the bridesmaids would meet him and the whole procession would come and go in. And sometimes that meeting was delayed or longer. But when he came, they better be ready because the whole thing was just about waving torches and singing and coming up to the house where the bride was waiting for the groom. There were no kind of ceremony like we know about it today. That was a whole event as we see it here. And so while they were waiting, they had to be ready. Nobody knew exactly when he would show up, but they better be ready. They better be on the lookout because as that procession joined now the, the group from the, from the, uh, the brides and, and then the group from, that came with the groom and the whole procession walked into that house where the wedding banquet would happen. After that, the doors were closed and no one else got in. They were considered strangers if they came late. And that picture, which was so well known to the last detail by everyone who heard Jesus give this parable, that's what he talks about when he compares his second coming. Imagine this. When Jesus speaks about his second coming, he uses a wedding banquet to describe it. That's a feast of joy, of excitement. That's a feast of hope. He's saying something to us, friends, about how we are to wait. Yes? The anticipation that should be there with the waiting. Let me read with you chapter 25, the first 13 verses of the book of Matthew. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. The foolish one took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At the midnight cry, a cry at the midnight, a cry rang out, "Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him." 
Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready, went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came also and said, Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. And therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The Christian hope is to be compared to a wedding banquet. So can I talk to you for a minute about the wait's anticipation or the anticipation of the wait. What we're talking about here is not a hope that you can have if you're looking for or looking forward to in the strongest way to find someone that you can love or someone who will love you. No, it's stronger than that. What this speaks to is a hope that with full anticipation and great longing, waiting to be with the one that you know already loves you. You see, hope and eager anticipation belong together. It's two sides of the same coin. You cannot speak to one without speaking to the other in a Christian sense, at least, of the word hope. This is so strong, actually, that when Peter, the apostle Peter, in his first letter is to give glory and praise to God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he simply opens his letter by saying this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what? A living hope. A living hope. That's a hope that gives life, friends. That's a hope from which life's life springs. The Advent, the time of the Advent is a time for you to reflect in a special way on the power that could be released, powerful life through hope. Let me ask you this, just as an opening. Is that the kind of hope? Is that the kind of anticipation that carries you through this time when we are waiting for the return of the Lord? Not humdrum, not every day, but that which can be compared to a wedding banquet. not a rhetorical question, really. You see, if you really, truly 
hope for something in this way. If you are beyond certain that this will happen and you're waiting with the kind of anticipation that comes from that kind of awareness and certainty, nothing really is impossible for us, is it? There's a new energy that is kind of blown into everything. Even a surplus of energy And we were able to breathe life into the most drowsy and sleepy expectation that our lives may have had. It's not without reason Jesus is choosing that particular scenario when he is doing the parable about the wait before his coming. It's a living hope. And you know as well as I do, living hope is contagious. I'm not telling you anything new here. It spreads joy. It spreads enthusiasm. It spreads courage. It spreads can-do kind of atmosphere. It spreads faith. I think you know it if you've ever been in the church and everything has just gone hum- humdrum and, and, you know, it's just kind of everyday and whatever, whatever, whatever. And then suddenly there's a new vision, there's a new power, there's a new look at the future and energy spreads to all areas and corners of that church. You feel it even in the foyer. And may I say, that's true, friends also in your marriage it's true in your home it's just how life-giving hope works and this is so strong that even when the author of Hebrews had to express what faith is he does so by using this term hope There's no other way really to say it. Faith is being sure of what we want, hope for. Being certain of what we do not yet see. Oh, may God give us right here in Nacogdoches, even right here in the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, that we may be filled during this season with that kind of living and life-giving hope. It's Advent, y'all. This is the best reminder you'll ever have on the importance of this. You see, hope is so intricately twisted into or intertwined with it faith and love that you can't really express the Christian life or even what it means to be church without saying all three, faith, hope, and love. And you take one of them out and everything kind of collapses. Without faith, hope becomes nothing but wishful thinking. Oh, I hope so. I wish so. And love becomes egotism. You love so that you may benefit from loving. Without hope, of course, faith is empty. Paul even says if our faith was for this life only, it would be worthless or pitiful. And of course, without hope, love 
kind of can't breathe and can't exist. It's powerless. And then we should take love away. What would happen to faith? It would become pure academia. It would be a matter of believing something in your brain that you're not living out. And of course, without love, again, hope disappears. You know, think of any structure with three legs on it. You remove one of them and it collapses. It falls down. That's why it is so important that we, during this Advent season, remind ourselves of the hope that we have as Christians. This is not something also. This is one of the things that make it possible for us to live the Christian life. You cannot take it away. Nor can you bury it and make it something that is just purely academic and not life-giving. So we're waiting. And during that time of wait, we're filled with joy. We place our hope in the living and life-giving God who, when time is ready, will show up. And when he does, we better be there to receive him. That's the anticipation of the wait. But look also, if we go a little bit further on the attitude, if you will, of the wait. It talks about persistency. It may be a while. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time coming. And they knew that could be the case. And we know that not many things are more difficult for us than patience. Yes. Persistency and patience are just difficult lessons to learn. You know, it would be so easy, and I know several of you, if not most of you, have asked that prayer. I know I have. Lord, why don't you just let things happen in the speed that I like, right? In the sequence that I like, that in the way I like. Then I would know you were there instead of kind of slowing it up or speeding it up or doing it in different ways. But really, when you think about it, aren't we glad that God holds these things in his hands? Because even the time itself is God's tool. God uses time to place us or to give us a test. It's not only about being ready when he comes. It's also be about being ready to wait for his coming. And you know, this, this speaks pretty powerfully to us when we think about it. There's a lot being said and written these days about, you know, ending well. The story here, of course, is also about beginning well. But maybe most importantly, the emphasis is we need to be able to wait well. Because when we know how to wait well, we will also finish well. 
I'll run the race. I finished well. It's not enough that we once upon a time saw the light and became Christians and then that's it. The foolish ones took the lamps. They brought the light but no extra oil. The wise ones also brought the lamps but brought extra oil. They needed to make sure that they were not, are you hearing me here, burn out. The foolish. Those who see or those who did not see, those who could not imagine the way. Didn't bring any resources outside of themselves. You know, I know this story is messed up a little bit, and I think I mentioned that on the Sunday night, kind of as a side remark. You know, half of you are sitting here this morning thinking, you know, these five wise ones, they should have shared, right? With the others. Yes? I mean, wouldn't that have been the Christian thing to do? You had more oil, you should give some to those who don't have any. Yes? Just be honest with me. You're thinking that he messed that story up. They should have done that. We feel that way. We just do. But think about it, friends. There are certain things that you cannot borrow. Lots of things, actually. If some person had lived a long life, bathed that life in prayer, being on their knees before God, studied his scripture, through that gained extraordinary strength of personality of faith, and then you are this flipping, you know, surface level type personality, and suddenly just an avalanche and, and just a tirade of difficulties are coming your way, you cannot just borrow the strength of the other person. It has to be yours, friend. If you stay sit and you're with someone else and they've studied hard and they've gone through school and they've been prepared for every class period and then suddenly there's this hard quest, uh, quiz or this very difficult exam and, and you cannot just at that moment say, oh, can I borrow your wisdom? I can go on and on with example after example. You have mistreated other people. You have done things and you don't understand why you don't have friends. And you see these others who have nurtured their friendship and loved their loved ones and been with their families. And you don't understand. Why can't I not just borrow from them what they have? You cannot. Lots of things cannot be borrowed. You got to bring Light in the lamp and oil in the jar. You got to always, to avoid burning out, bring that extra oil. Make sure you're always close to the oil. I think you get my drift. Everybody knows that the Christian life, the living, warm, strong, Christian life 
has understood that you got to be close to the extra oil. The wise knew that they had to have a reservoir outside of themselves to avoid burning out. They brought it and they were ready. Can I say it again in a little different way, but the same thing? The wise know that they cannot burn for long in their own power. They know that if they are to continue as they began, they need to have a constant new supply of oil. God's power and presence. In fact, the book of Hebrews, if I can go back to that again, says we need patience or persistence to do the will of God. Hope and persistence goes hand in hand if we are to be ready to hear the cry in the night. The groom is coming. The groom is coming. Get ready. The groom is coming. What are we speaking about? An inner experience of faith that lights a lamp and a life of faith outside of ourselves that is found in Christ as we share him. If you lose that duality, that one of the sides of that coin, if you will, you'll risk, friends, that the weight becomes too long and you burn out. Because just like there are some things you can't borrow, there are certain things that you can't delay. The closed door. Have we read this? The door was shut. The closed door is at one at the same time the gospel about God's love and the gospel about God's ultimatum. The message of Christ is saturated, if you read through the gospel, by this awareness of God's limit. There are certain things that you cannot continue to delay. They require a decision. They require a surrender, if you will. Just like there are things you can't borrow, there are things you can't continue to delay. That's what it is when we talk about those who are wise and those who are foolish. Think about it. How does this whole thing summarize? Jesus gives a parable. There's no one who didn't get it. Not one. That would be impossible if you lived in that day and knew that whole scenario. Every little step of that has names. You can study that if, if you're interested in that. And then he summarizes this. 
And he says, therefore, what for? Because of what I just said, did you not get this? Therefore, keep watch. Be prepared. The weight matters. There's a certain anticipation that comes with that weight. There's a certain attitude that comes with that weight. And there is a certain conviction, of course, that comes with that weight. I was a Boy Scout and all my growing up years, Eagle Scout. And the thing we had to repeat again and again, the way we met actually, was with that Baden-Powell expression, be prepared. It's almost impossible for me to read a text like that without being reminded of that. So can I round this up with just a joyful note and remind you again and again, we celebrate Advent, the time of the wait, in the same way that bridesmaids and the bride and the whole procession that came there waited and celebrate the wait for a wedding banquet. Waving torches, lots of light, excitement and singing. That's the wait, friends. Not, oh, it's going to be. This is not you being irritated in a McDonald's line that takes two minutes. Rejoice in the way and be ready. Can we pray? Father, speak to us through this powerful text. May we know of your love. May we know that you have offered to us not only to light our lamps, but to give us the oil. And so I ask here that this Advent season will be a reminder strong, powerful reminder that we may and we should and we must rejoice in the wait and be ready. May everyone who is here, I ask, Father, for the individual. I ask, Father, for the home, for every parent, every spouse, every child, May their home be filled with light in the lamp and oil close by. And if we think that that's not the case, Father, help us seek that oil. I ask that in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing a song like we always do. And this... Is a good time. If you thought about coming forward and spending some time in prayer, either with your spouse or a friend, or grab someone's hand, or do it right where you sit if you don't feel like coming forward. This is a good time. Some of you may need light in the lamp, yes, to meet Jesus Christ. Some of you have a light that is so weak that it's flickering. Come get some more oil. Talk to him about filling you up with his presence and his spirit.
This is the time, friends. And if you want to go to the house where there's oils and fine, here is a good community that will talk to you about the importance of this. Let's stand. And however God calls you, please respond.